Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 254 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Which I realize now I put totally wrong episode numbers in Twitter earlier, but that's okay. As long as, as, long as we get them right now, <laughs> that's all that matters. Uh, so anyway, let's do episode number 254. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so this is the short topic program where we discuss news and events and things and happenings in the amateur radio and open source world and the part of those worlds that combine together to create Linux in the Hamshack on the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the intertubes. So I guess we'll just dive right in and hit our first amateur radio topic. And hope this doesn't sound too much like a sales pitch. It's not, it's not intended to be one, but I thought I would mention it because we have talked about six meters before. Uh, and the ARRL posted a story about a new book for antennas on the magic band. Uh, it's for amateur radios who wanted to s- discover the mysteries of the magic band. Six meters is a band full of surprises, and when you least expect it, six meters can suddenly open for contacts over hundreds and even thousands of miles. And while the HF bands may be suffering during the solar minimum, six meters is unaffected and just as amazing as ever, sir. You know, they're really, like, trying to push this book, I guess. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for pursuits in amateur radio, the world above 50 megahertz is territory you should explore. Uh, the book includes insights into the unpredictable, unpredictable behavior of the six-meter band, quirks of six-meter propagation, and how-tos on building your own six-meter antennas with detailed designs for everything from simple antennas to high-gain band busters. Yeah. Boom, baby. <laughs> yeah, boom. Drop it like it's hot. That's so right. Somebody was, it's so magical. <laughs> somebody was really had uh, time to work on this copy. Uh, but anyway. I, well, I mean. Yeah, no, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, the ARRL is a publishing company, so <laughs> they're they're all into self-promoting their books. And, uh, you know, we just talked about uh, the antenna book and the 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 handbook uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, this is no surprise. It's another good book from them. But uh, I don't know if you need a whole book on six meters. Uh, pretty much if the band's open, it's going to uh, it's going to be open. <laughs> you can work with uh, half a watt and a wire. Yeah, but so can't you uh, say that about any band, really? I mean. No, not really. Six meters is just one of those things that's really weird. When it opens up, it's it's like wide open and really, really odd propagation. Yeah. Um, the only time you really need like a lot of gain is for marginal conditions. And uh, if you're doing like uh, meteor scatter and stuff like that, if you want to direct your signal a little bit better. But I found even like a simple moxon, a little two element moxon beam that you can build yourself out of some copper pipe or some aluminum. Is, is more than enough gain for uh, those circumstances, you know, unless you want to be like the, the loudest, loudest, loud signal on the band, because they all sound loud <laughs> when the band's open. 
All right. Well, there you go. And I think if I remember right, the book was about 20 bucks. So it's not going to break your wallet or anything if you want to buy that. Or you could just, you know, put up a short six meter antenna because I mean, quarter wave on six meter, not very long. And uh, yeah, yep. and since since the ease season is over with pretty much, uh, you know, it's a good time to read out the band because it's not going to be open as much now. Very good. All right. So we'll hit our next topic and we'll let Bill handle our next topic. Sure. Eris, uh, plan considered for NASA Deep Space Gateway. There's another story from the AWRL. Uh, we're probably taking it off from their news, <laughs> their radio news program. <laughs> but anyway, this is a delegates were pleased to learn last week that an ARIS plan is under consideration by NASA's Deep Space Gateway DSG program. The Deep Space Gateway would be a small outpost orbiting the moon that would act as a spaceport for human and robotic exploration to the moon and beyond, NASA has said. Crewed by four people, it would provide an operational platform further exploring the lunar surface and hub to a deeper space destinations or to deeper space destinations. NASA hopes to have a completed gateway in a lunar orbit as early as 2024. Uh, during international sessions, ARIS delegates and team members from around the world presented and listened to talks on all aspects of ARIS from operations to education to hardware to future projects. The team heard the latest news on ham TV the interoperable, interoperable radio system, and proposed AstroBee activities, HamTV2, and RadioPi projects. AstroBee is a robot that will fly around the ISS with the astronauts to help scientists and engineers to scalp, uh, develop and test technologies for use in zero gravity. Uh, I thought that's what we're doing over in, uh, in the ISS already. Anyway, <laughs> I guess we need another place to do it. Uh, eight astronauts with routine chores and offer Houston flight controllers additional eyes and ears on the spacecraft. Eris is the only non-commercial entity considered for the project. And again, that comes from the ARRL. That sounds interesting. We're hearing a lot about the moon lately. It's it's suddenly coming back yeah. into focus, you know, after almost, well, over 50 years, actually. Uh, so it's interesting that, that the moon is becoming popular again. We're doing things other than just maintaining our tides. Okay. Yeah, it seems to be popping in our our news pattern quite a bit too. <laughs> you know, with capturing SSTV from the moon station to uh, you know cap- capturing the telemetry beacons from those satellites that are over there now. Yep. All right. Very cool. And moon bounce. And moon bounce. Yes, yeah, so we do talk about EME every once in a while. All right. So you want to read the story? Okay. Well, the next one can be yours. All righty then. If the price is right. If the price is right. Yeah, the price is never right. But anyway, uh, LEDs can affect radio communications. Dutch Amateur Radio Society, Veron, reports that current EMC standard, developed in the last century, no longer suffices. Online newspapers such as Telegraph, NOS, and NU.NL carry articles about LED lighting that emits too much EMR. The faulty LED lights disrupt wireless connections in and around the house. Radio Communications Agency therefore starts an investigation into 50 LED lamp suppliers. Do only LED bulbs disturb? No, definitely not. The culprit is often the circuit in the LED lamp to make the supply voltage suitable for the LED. Solar panel installations also regularly cause disturbances in the frequency spectrum, especially if they're equipped with so-called optimizers. The current EMC standard was developed in the 70s. Rapid advancement electrical technology make it seriously outdated. The IARU is in consultation with various international bodies and various working groups to establish new standards. 
And this information came from the Southgate ARC. And yep, there you go. LED is brand new fangled technology that is interfering with the radio spectrum, which, of course, it would because all light and radio waves and every other kind of wave are all part of the radio spectrum, just in different frequencies. And where those frequencies overlap, we get problems. So, you know, new standards on the way. This was a Dutch story, but I'm sure it's affecting things worldwide. So we'll see new standards, I'm sure, come out. And uh, they're encouraging everyone to use LED lighting now, too, because it's so much uh, more cost-effective and energy-saving. So definitely going to be a topic going forward. Have you tried to buy a standard light bulb lately? Not happening. You know, I thought like three or four years ago that they were just going to roll up the sidewalks on incandescent light bulbs, but you can still get them. Uh, yeah, but it's it's hard. It, it's not... No, so. but but you still can. Maybe they're just clearing out the shelves. I don't know. Well, I thought there was, they were going to completely phase, I mean, completely phase them out by like 2018 or 2020 or something like that. Well, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. But obviously that hasn't happened yet. But we're not. We're, we're not to 2020. 2020 yet, that's true. So. But we'll see. All right. So moving on, we're going to hit some open source topics. And the first one is one that's everywhere on the Internet and on the, you know, radio and on the tv so if you haven't heard about this story i would be shocked <laughs> um but it's 34 billion dollar red hat acquisition may save ibm this this one actually came from TechCrunch, and like i said there's a billion stories out there uh, but i chose to go with a technical source as opposed to a business source or just a regular news outlet so this one hopefully has a more uh, technical angle uh, though the acquisition of Red Hat is by no means a guaranteed victory for the computing company that has had more downs than ups over the last five years, it seems to be a better bet than an artificial intelligence program that was always more hype than reality. Watson has not performed as well as IBM had hoped, and investors were losing their patience. Watson is only one of the segments that IBM had been hoping to tap for its future growth. And while it was a huge investment area for the company, the company always had its eyes partly fixed on the cloud computing environment as it looked for areas of growth. It's this area of cloud computing where IBM hopes that Red Hat can help it gain ground. Quote, the acquisition of Red Hat is a game changer. It changes everything about the cloud market, said Ginny Rometty, IBM chairman, president, and chief executive officer. And as Red Hat chief executive Jim Whitehurst told The Street in September, quote, the big secular driver of Linux is that Big data workloads run on Linux. AI workloads run on Linux. DevOps and those platforms almost exclusively Linux. So much of the net new workloads that are being built have an affinity for Linux. So there you go. Story came from TechCrunch. And like I said, if you, if you hadn't already heard that story, I'd be surprised, but you've just heard it again. Linux, 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 Linux. <laughs> That's right. Oh, <laughs> lots of Linux in there. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, IBM has been, uh, having some issues. I know, uh, I have a, friend that uh is still hanging in there (laughs) they've had quite a few uh layoffs and stuff like that over the last uh you know five years or so so that's what they're talking about the more more downs than ups (laughs) yep so uh yeah yeah i mean i hope this is uh you know not a way to devalue red hat (laughs) at some point um but uh, we shall see this is one of these deals that you know the whole Novell and Susie thing didn't work out quite well either, so uh, we'll wait and see on this one. Yeah, I guess so. I, I at least in the open source world, or when it comes to GPL software and the idea of copy lefting, the fact that 
you know, this acquisition has taken place really shouldn't affect anyone unless they're just fully invested in Red Hat specifically, the enterprise version. You know, for the rest of us, there's scientific Linux and CentOS and, and all the other derivatives. And so we'll still be able to use Red Hat um, in the way it was intended. I, I don't know if uh, the, the upstream from IBM will come downstream like it has up till now. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, yeah, it's, that's doubtful. I mean, IBM has really never gotten a, their own distro off the ground and, you know, no traction whatsoever. And, you know, primarily this is all about the cloud computing component. It's something that uh, Red Hat's doing successfully and IBM has tried to do <laughs> and uh, really, really hasn't uh, gained ground there either. Um, I, I guess they run out of time on their Watson commercials. <laughs> yeah. Watson has kind of run its course. I don't know if anything's ever going to come of that other than what it already does, like beat people at Jeopardy and, uh, you know, do speech, you know, text to speech or speech to text type searching with uh, its built in AI. I, I mean, I'm sure it's doing something for somebody, but it must be in a more enterprise arena because you don't really hear about Watson anymore. So I guess we'll see what happens. What becomes of IBM now that they've taken over another huge company for a huge amount of dollars? So. All righty. So we're going to move on to another, uh, not exactly a tech giant, but a much more interesting tech company. Uh, we'll let till Bill tell you all about, uh, System 76. Yeah. System 76 shares open hardware. Thelio. 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 I don't know. Thelio. T H E L I O. You can pronounce it however you wish. Computer details. System76 has been making big news in the Linux community lately with its upcoming open source uh, Helio, you know, computer. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Helio. Uh, many, Linux users, <laughs> <laughs> many Linux users have been clamoring for System76 to make its own hardware. Uh, yeah, because that's going to really go long. <laughs> and uh, that dream will soon be a reality. Probably the most exciting element of the new system is the promise of an open source daughter board that will strip the proprietary aspects from a typical motherboard. Uh, the company says we will be unveiling Thelio systems on Thursday, November 1st. So it's right around the corner. Uh, from there, you'll be able to customize your own Thelio desktops for pre-order. System76 shared teaser images of the computer. It apparently uses DDR4 memory, which is to be expected. Uh, SATA. Uh, SSD, probably NVMe. Well, it, if it's NVMe, it's not uh, SATA. So anyway, <laughs> this is a terrible news source and a uh, design that is simple, elegant, and easy to manage. And that comes from beta news. So uh, yeah, don't take uh, whatever they say for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not quoted from the company. Uh, that's two different technologies there. They're both uh, solid state uh, drives, but totally different to architecture <laughs> no it's see i think i think the it actually makes sense the way it's written there you change the word probably to possibly so i think ah. they're saying it it's a sata ssd but it might not be sata ssd it might be nvme which oh I, I think that's the way they intended that hopefully beta news which we have gotten articles from before is not super stupid <laughs> um, <laughs> well i just think this is a bad idea this is this is not a good good idea for System76. I don't think the market uh, is that uh, critical of uh, <laughs> of having a completely open source computer. What do you, what do you uh, mean by critical? Well, I don't think there's enough uh, marked there to uh, make that its only determining seller. You know, 
it just seems that, you know, unless there's a you know huge performance advantage to gain from having a fully open source machine, uh, if it's only to just say that it is open source, I don't think it's uh, enough of a, a, a draw for, uh, for it to be a, you know, a big, a big drawer to that product. I don't know. It just, uh, it seems like a great idea and all, but, uh, I mean, hardware is something that people generally don't even think about anymore. I think in the case of System 76, people might just be interested in the name System 76 more than the fact that it's open source, but. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They, they um, have their advocates and their zealots for sure, just like anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you want to do the next one or you want me to do it? <laughs> Thank you. I can do it. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on in our open source topics, we have one more, and that is the 10 most used programming languages in open source. Uh, 20 years after the open source movement began, developers are increasingly contributing to projects in the space. Of 4,300 developers surveyed for a DigitalOcean report, 55% said they are contributing to open source projects. However, 71% said that their companies expect them to use open source software as part of their day-to-day development work. For the developers who do participate in open source projects, 60% contribute to the software side, followed by 16% in software maintenance and 14% in filing issues. I had to read that a couple of times because I I thought there was like a market in filing issues, (laughs) (laughs) but I have a feeling that means they're filing like bug reports. Um, Yeah. The top motivation for this participation is improving coding skills along with being part of a community and learning new technologies. The 10 programming languages developers said they use most for their projects are, in first place, Boo. <laughs> JavaScript, 62%. Making, making bloated web pages daily. <laughs> That's right. Uh, in second place, Python at 52%. Third place, PHP at 29%, followed by Java at 28%, CSS at 25%. I don't really consider CSS a programming language, but okay. Uh, C++ at 18%. Mm, it's quite powerful. It is. It is. But it usually doesn't stand alone. Not generally. Yeah. Uh, Go at 16%, C at 14%, C Sharp at 10%, and down at the very bottom, Ruby at 9%. Uh, This list largely mirrors other data on the most popular programming languages to learn, programming languages to learn in general. And that source was Tech Republic actually quoting from a DigitalOcean report. So I'm missing SQL on here. There's no SQL. Again, like, well, I guess it is a programming language, but it, again, it's a very specific application in SQL. Yeah, it's like the database that sits behind every single one of those apps, <laughs> languages. Well, well like, you know, like, like CSS, like I guess no they SQL. just yeah, didn't consider it a programming language. And again, I'm not sure I would consider CSS a programming language either. I would consider it more of a, a data structure, almost. Because it's it's almost yeah. like JSON or XML. I mean, because it's it, it sort of has defining characteristics. It doesn't actually do anything that I'm aware of, unless there's something about CSS that I don't know. No, I mean you could do all kinds of animations and everything else in CSS nowadays. I mean, it's pretty powerful. Uh, okay, but isn't that a function of the renderer, not the CSS itself? Well, I mean, if you don't program it, it won't render it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, somebody, somebody who's got a better handle on the uh, psychology of programming can explain to me how CSS is more of a programming language than I think it is. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's just me. That's, that's my shortcoming, not, not CSS's, I guess. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's move on to Linux in the ham shack. We do have a few pro, uh, yeah, projects. We have a few stories here we can talk about. Uh, the first one is a flash topic, and that is something I actually got off the Ubuntu hams mailing list. 
but it's also referenced on the K-Log site, and that is that K-Log 0.9.5 has been released, and it brings two new interesting features, statistics of your log and satellite data updates. Um, the ability to update satellite data when there are new satellites in the sky or an error in the current data set uh, can be done on the fly, and also included are query optimizations, bug fixes, new translations into French and German, and updated translations for several other languages. So if you use K-Log, here you go. Updates. Yeah, and Cubicle Nate was mentioning in the chat room that uh, GNOME uses CSS. I think we were just talking about that today, weren't we? <laughs> but isn't it used for styling GNOME? Uh, and, and everything else. So it's, it's actually used for some uh, some interpretation, like interpretive languaging. All right, cool. Uh, I'll, I'll think about it again. It just, it seemed like in that list of programming languages, CSS was slightly out of place. Yeah, in, I, in I agree. I agree that, in general. Yeah. In, in the sense that if CSS is in there, SQL should probably be in there. <laughs> well, if you get into like procedural language, SQL, then yeah, I mean, truly, <clears throat> I just, uh, I just went through 200,000 lines of, uh, <laughs> procedure, uh, you know, transactional SQL statements. So <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a lot of programming that you can do inside a SQL that you probably shouldn't do. <laughs> Things it wasn't truly designed for, but can do if you push it hard enough. Absolutely. It's just like Excel, you know, it'll just do anything you keep asking it to do until one day it keels over and dies. <laughs> all right anyway so uh the ne cu next couple of stories here you actually dumped into the etherpad so we'll let you cover them yeah we i uh, did some uh, github and gitlab diving and uh, i do have to mention again that gitlab they it's just really got to fix the whole searching capabilities and sorting and stuff like that it's it's quite painful and uh I do have to say there's, there's not a lot of penetration of uh, amateur radio projects uh, that uh, that I can find. I only found about 27 projects in total on GitLab. So unless people just have them configured in a uh, in a way in which they're not really searchable, um, I, I'm not sure that the whole you know oh we're leaving GitHub for GitLab thing is really that uh, that that uh, that true to form. Anyway, uh, I did find a few projects here uh, that have been up updated recently. Uh, first one is uh, Receive Weather Satellite Images. Now, this is uh, one of those things that's not really a program, but rather a guide and uh, a list of information. And Matthew Kenny provides, uh, uh, basically right now, it's a readme and a bunch of other little things, uh, a site that is a collection of notes on receiving weather satellite images using amateur radio hardware and software. And uh, like I say here, it's basically a collection of links, tools, and tutorials on getting started on actually doing this. So uh, it looks uh, it looks pretty interesting. Uh, there's a lot of links there to you know SDR applications and stuff like that. Um, if you haven't uh, really messed around with doing that, uh, you know it's definitely a good resource to kind of bring everything together, including some links to some YouTube videos that can uh, help you get started. And it looks like he's he'll eventually store some scripts and stuff like there, probably for configuration and and whatnot. Um, so yeah, check that out. That's on GitHub. Uh, the next one here is HamGrid. Uh, this is by Ethan Zimmerman. He brings us an experiment with uh, the Maidenhead grid system used by amateur radio operators. And of course, that's your uh, your uh, four character, like mine's DN55. And then if you're a fixed character, it's, you know, mine's DN55QT. Um, basically, a start to, uh, to an overlaid Google map with grid squares that as you zoom into your location, it gives you the six character locator. It also has a geolocator, so if you allow the permissions when you uh, browse to their little demo site, uh, it'll find your grid square and uh, pin it. 
it uh it didn't zoom and like recenter the map so there's some definitely some work to do there but uh, this is an early development demo site it, it works so uh it's something to check out um if you're interested in that kind of project take a look at it uh the last one here that last one that was on github this last one actually i did find on gitlab and it is uh, rsdk a c++ and qt based hpsdr software defined radio project and this comes to us from kf5 Oscar Victor Kip Aldrich, he uh, created this as an experiment to learn uh, QT or Qt, and it looks pretty neat. It's, uh, it's a software-defined radio app, like I said, uh, for Linux, but it uh, obviously could go cross-platform, I believe. Let me look at that before I say that. <laughs> for Definitely for Linux. So we'll just stick it with that, uh, Linux. And uh, a couple of the things that stuck out here was... Uh, uh, it lays out the radio controls in the form of a dockable, closable, independently positionable widgets and allows customized radio layouts. So it's a kind of cool little uh, flow for an SDR app. Um, I don't really care about style sheets and uh, it does use a, a modified version of the DTSP digital signal processing library as a backend for radio signal processing. So that's quite powerful. And the thing that I really saw was this, that RSDK uses the Jack Audio Connection Kit for low-latency uh, local audio. So that's uh, for audio routing. There you go, a native app <laughs> for Jack. So get your Jack running, and you can uh, try this out if you uh, have an HPSDR. And I think, uh, I'm not sure, the full hardware compatibility list. I was just looking. Um, hardware lineup, it looks like... Uh, Hmm. I don't really see. This all goes with the HP SDR, so the high-performance software-defined radio. So that's a collection of open-source hardware components consisting of receivers, exciters, interfaces, and so on and so forth. And you can, uh, you know, search that up as well if you're you're interested in that, or you probably already have that if you know what that means. And uh, you can check this project out. It looks uh, it looks pretty slick. All right. Very cool. I I wanted to dig up. I got an email. I think. I'm not sure how I found this, but there was a, a cloud, well, not a cloud, but a web-based logger that I somehow found out about. And I was digging around because I wanted to include it in here. And I found the link to the site. And the site is logs.uhuh.com. Um, let's see. Uh, net. Sorry, logs. It's a, so it's logs. Alpha Hotel hyphen Hotel Uniform Hotel. Net. Um, and I don't know where this is hosted, but its native language is not English. <laughs> um, its native language looks like Japanese, perhaps. What did you say? It was logs. What? It's logs. Alpha Hotel hyphen Hotel Uniform Hotel dot net. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Translate uh, this page. No, it has a it has a translation uh, drop down in the upper right. Uh, it says you can Japanese. Select, yeah, so you can select English, and it will be in English more or less. Um, and I did. It does have a valid uh, SSL certificate, so I did actually create a login with a password only for this site. Um, and it does what it says. It's a, it's a logger. You can, you can import your logs into it and it's uh, got a reasonably good uh, web 2.0 interface. 
And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a project out there. I really don't know a whole lot about it. I, I can't even find the information on where I found the site at this point, but it is a web-based cloud logger, apparently hosted somewhere in Japan. Uh, it does have some internationalization and I wanted to put it out there in case anyone, anyone wants to explore it. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit more exploring of it and probably, uh, talk again about it maybe in episode number 257 when we come back around to short topics. So I just wanted I to put it in there and make sure. Huh. Everyone knows it's available. They do what? Uh, I was just I was just looking, and I see they have a uh, a GitHub repo, but it just has a lang file in there. I thought I had found it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's open. Oh, it's not op- quite open source. <laughs> yeah. So uh, use it with caution if you want to check it out. But I'm, I'm definitely going to do some uh, some more investigation into it. I just wanted to make sure the information was out there before we moved on, because at least this way I won't forget it. All right, so that actually exhausts all of our topics for the evening, which means we have come down to the bottom of episode number 254, and at the end of our short topic shows, we do the social media roundup. So that means we'll bring Cheryl back from La La Land, wherever she's been. (laughs) Working on stuff. Working on stuff, and uh, you can handle the social media roundup. All right, I'll do my best. Okay. Okay, so for this time in our Patreons list, we have Andy Webster, which is new, William Heckelman, Cubicle Nate, John Spriggs, Steve Sainer, Donald Gever, Robert Pitts, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Chris Beggio, and Darren King. Our subscriptions list includes James Lewis, Steve Hepler, Jeff Zimmerman, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman. Stephen Harp, Charlie Brown, Kevin Murray, Wayne Carpenter, Doug Redder, Bill Piotr, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Conley, and Jeremy Hall. On Facebook, we have Tom Moore, Aaron Dalton, and Michael Boudreaux. Uh, nobody joined us on Google Plus this time. And for Twitter, we have at AD0DX. At Don Gibbs 2, at J603, at Stan Roy 71, at B Gibson 88, at HP Garcia, at KG7 UOZ, uh, yeah, UOZ, sorry, at CD314SP, at Twizit 2, at Drival, Driver Devil, at W6HN, at CT1DOV, and at SatNOGS. YouTube, we have Alan Gower, David McKay, Scott Nichols, Eric Johansson, and Felix RZ. And nobody on the mailing list and no merchandise. All right. So there we go. We have made it down to the bottom of the Etherpad, which means the show is just about to wrap up. But we did want to mention the folks who had joined us in the chat room tonight. We had several with us tonight, actually. Uh, we have VK6EK from Down Under. We have uh, AB10OP, uh, not zero. I think I'm stuck doing zeros too. AB10OP, uh, Cubicle Nate, KC0NUK, KB0OWD, Jay Lindsay, and I don't think KB9ZMY was in there tonight. I think you uh, must have had something I think else. He's to on do. the drive home. He's on the drive home. So he's he on the drive listening. Home. <laughs> he's just not, uh, not texting because I guess no. he has classes on Monday nights. All right. There you go. So. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to episode number 254 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm pretty sure I got the episode number right that time. And uh, 
We will catch you all again for the next edition of The Weekender, which will be episode number 255. So make sure you tune in for that. So for Linux in the Hamshack, this is Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, <laughs> NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license